Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today on episode 106, we have the driver of the 5-1-51 car of Jeremy Clements is on the show to discuss his really unique career and great season to date in the Xfinity Series. Plus, a Bush wins the Bushy McBush Race 400 with the Bush car finishing in second. How do you like that? But before that, we're paying homage to a late legend that passed away earlier this week. Here's Papa Siegel with more. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 106. Today, we engage in some numerology and pay a fond remembrance to a racing legend. I've had to get creative as the episode numbers pass the century mark. Since our host's favorite subject in school was math, not, here's an algebra problem for you, Duve. What is 1 plus 0 plus 6? Hopefully you got 7, which is the number of Indy 500 wins attributable to the four sons of Mary and Jerry Unser. We said goodbye this week to one of them, Bobby Unser, who passed away on May 2nd. Unser was a three-time Indy winner. He and his brother Al, a four-time winner in Indy, who again is my favorite IndyCar driver of all time, are the only racing brothers to win the greatest spectacle of racing. Unser drove during what I believe was the most dangerous and evolutionary of times for open-wheel racing. His first start at Indy was in 1963, when he drove a front-engine-powered Novi. He saw the sport transition to rear-engine aerodynamic speed machines. He won for Dan Gurney. He won for Roger Penske. To give you some idea of how much things changed and evolved during his career, Bobby Unser's qualifying speed for his first Indy 500 race was less than 165 miles per hour. For his last Indy start, which he won, he qualified at over 200 miles an hour. While best known for his Indy accomplishments and his broadcasting career as well, Bobby Unser was the master of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Imagine racing up a steep mountain pass at full speed, drifting around dirt corners with your wheels inches from the edge of the road and nothing but a long fall down to await you if you screwed it up. Unser won the hill climb 10 times, the last one coming in 1986 after a 12-year absence at the age of 52. I've mentioned how dangerous the 60s and 70s were for open-wheel racing, but it bears repeating. During Bobby Unser's heyday, it was common for drivers to suffer horrible injuries or lose their lives on a regular, sometimes weekly basis. Perhaps Bobby Unser's greatest accomplishment of all was that he lived to tell about it, and if you watched him as a broadcaster, you knew how much he loved to tell about it. Any race car driver of his generation is lucky to have it said about him that he lived to the ripe age of 87 and died of natural causes. Fare thee well, Leadfoot. 
You're still not adding up one, zero, and six, are you, Duve? Back to you. Thank you, Dad. Okay, A, I'm not still adding up one, zero, and six. And B, as Dad was reading that, my mom was reading the Washington Post, and she came across the obituary for Bobby Unser as Dad was reading that. It's just crazy how that works. But as he said, 87 years old, he lived a very full life. And I mentioned it on Twitter, but you guys remember that amazing spot that NBC did promoting the Indianapolis 500, and they didn't say anything. They just played the finishes, and they let the winners watch it and got their reactions on video. I tweeted the clip of that, or I quote tweeted the clip of that, and Bobby Unser's reaction, that sticks with me so vividly because he you can see he's old. But God, he is so happy watching that back and the emotions that it invokes, even in me, who has no connection to the answers whatsoever. It's pretty deep. So RIP to a legend, Bobby Unser and the whole Unser family racing legends for sure. Let's start this episode off as we always do with a good old fashioned. <laughs> Let's recap the Bushy McBush race 400 from Kansas Speedway. A Bush wins it because, of course, that's how life works. First win of the season for Kyle Bush and the 18 team. They were quick all day long, not necessarily the best car all day, but they were best when it mattered, and that's what it takes to win in the Cup Series, especially nowadays with these restarts and these rules packages. We'll get to why we had lace race restarts. We'll get there, I promise. But here are Kyle's thoughts on the day as a whole. And a hell of a birthday present as well, if I do say so myself. Obviously, very satisfied. You know, we uh, had a strong car. We ran up front all day. Uh, drop of the green flag, we were heading towards the front. So that was definitely a confidence booster. And just kept trying to make little adjustments to the car all day long in order to get it to where we wanted it uh, there towards closer towards the end. And nothing was really hitting on it and, and making it better. But uh, the final two adjustments definitely were, were a positive for us. And um, didn't necessarily take us from a third place car to a winning car, but uh, all the restarts and circumstances did and, and got us in the right position when we needed it. Kyle, you said yesterday that you're not a big birthday guy, but you're two for two and winning on your birthday. So is that changed now? <laughs> uh, not really, man. It's just another day. It's another race, you know. So uh, fortunately, it's pretty cool. Not a lot of guys have done it on their birthday. So, um, you know, this is... Uh, and then there's no better day to win than, I guess, on your birthday. You get to party twice, you know. So um, we'll see how all that turns out tonight. Actually, we're celebrating on Tuesday, so we're going to have a fun time on Tuesday. Cool. Thanks. Happy birthday. Thank you. He is now two for two in winning races on his birthday. He joins Cale Yarbrough as the only other driver to do it more than once, and Matt Kenseth, who did so in the early 2000s on that list. Three Hall of Famers, going to be a fourth when Kyle gets in and when Matt gets in. So he's a basic lock, you know what I mean? That's a pretty impressive list and hell of a birthday present. Again, man. How about Ben Bishore, though? Bayshore, Bishore, I don't really know what it is at this point. Uh, I'm going to say Bayshore. He grabs his first win of his Cup Series career, and that's important because when you are Kyle Busch's crew chief, no matter how you slice it, there is a lot of pressure in that position. And now that he's got this win, albeit a little bit later than he would have liked, a little bit of that pressure is off of his shoulders. All right, this question's for Ben. Uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot of pressure that comes along with being Kyle Busch's crew chief. Have you felt that so far this season? And are you guys where you expected to be going into the year? Um, you know, I, 
I'd be lying if I said I, want, I didn't want to wait till the, what is this, the 11th or 12th race, and that being our first win, you know, I, I would have liked to fire off a little bit better and maybe get one earlier, but, um, you know, it, it didn't work out. So, but we got one here today, so uh, really excited about that. Really, really happy for all the guys on this team um, that put in a ton of work to, to get this car as fast as they can. And all the preparation back at the body shop, uh, the chassis shop, just a, a huge deal for all those guys. Um, and it's, it was good to see all the Joe Gibbs cars up there and having speed and, and um, happy we were able to come away with check a flag. An up and down day for Kevin Harvick, who is a multi-time winner at Kansas. But somehow, some way, the four team crawled their way back from a late race uncontrolled tire penalty and the lack of speed that they've showed overall this season, especially on the 750 tracks at mile and a half, they finished second. I don't know how they did it because, as I mentioned, the pit road penalty set them back. But as he mentions, being on offense at the end of the race is way better than being on defense. Yeah, you know, we um, we were a little bit off at the beginning. Um, the guys did a great job adjusting on our car and getting our car better throughout the day. And then we had pit road penalty while we were running forward there and, and had to go to the back. And luckily we had a couple of cautions and Rodney made a couple of great calls and put tires on the car a couple of times. And we really put us on offense there at the end and we're able to, um, to get a couple of good restarts and come out with a good finish. This race was another case of woulda, coulda, shoulda for Kyle Larson. You remember Atlanta, he led the most laps, dominated the thing. His car fell off late. Ryan Blaney's came on late. Blaney passed him for the lead and the subsequent win. Similar thing happened this race. He led the most laps, but did not wind up a winner. Actually finished outside the top 15, I believe in 19th, after a green-white checkered restart went badly for him. He was trying to push Ryan Blaney, but he pushed him too hard, and, well, they both paid for it. Larson breaks down his day, a dejected Larson at that. Yeah, I just uh, lined up behind Blaney, and was gonna. my plan was just to push him as hard as I could, and try and be with them on the backstretch to, to shove them and um, hopefully get them guys racing in front of me or potentially get inside or outside for lead somehow. And so, yeah, I just plan on pushing really hard. And um, obviously I did that and got them sideways and ended up getting us both in the wall. So probably should have just laid off once I got to the corner and hopefully a run came to where I could get to the back, just back bumper on the backstretch. So, Hate that I screwed that up and uh, cost ourselves a good finish. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room. The thing that got us to that finish, where cautions bred cautions down the stretch, as they tend to always do in Cup Series racing and NASCAR in general, was the infamous now tire debacle. I wrote about it on frontstretch.com for NASCAR Mailbox this week. You can go check that out. But here's what happened. Essentially, Tyler Reddick under green flag pit stops has an uncontrolled tire. It rolls off a pit road. It's sitting on the tip of the grass. The infield grass at Kansas is ginormous. It's sitting there. Is it a safety hazard? Maybe, maybe not. Because Chris Busher sees this. So he's, he's being told to stay out. Because he thinks NASCAR is going to throw a yellow to retrieve the tire. They can't get it under green flag conditions. Safety hazard. Totally understandable. So what does NASCAR do? They wait. And they wait. Five laps, 10 laps, 15 laps. All in all, it was 17 laps before they threw the caution after the 17 at Chris Busher pitted. And then 
That bunched everybody back up. They retrieved the tire. Sent some calamity that ensued. With Ricky Stenhouse Jr. spun. Christopher Bell spun. Maybe one or two more yellows in there for good measure. And we ended up having a green-white checkered finish. And it was a pretty good finish and a good show at the end of things. But my thing was, if it was a caution 15 laps ago, then you should have thrown it 15 laps ago. Don't wait 17 laps to do it. So I was saying, this is race manipulation. Not cool. I'm not on NASCAR side with this one. But all the drivers, theoretically, the ones that we asked and we had the chance to talk to, they said it was the right call. And after listening to them, and you guys can, again, see what I wrote on Front Stretch, I guess I agree with them because it's hard to disagree with the drivers that are in the cockpits themselves. I mean, Kyle Busch agreed with the call because it obviously set him up to win. Kyle Larson declined to comment because he didn't know the specifics. Same with Kevin Harvick. But they're in it, and this has happened before. I mean, at Atlanta a few years ago, a similar situation was happening. A crew member ran to go get the tire under green. That's a no-no. He was suspended for four races. So that's not going to happen. NASCAR is either going to throw the yellow and get the tire, or they're going to keep it green and let it play out and hope to God that nobody spins, hits that tire, and causes an incredible safety hazard for everybody there. So the long and the short of it is, I thought that if it was a caution 17 laps ago, it should be a caution 17 laps ago. And I still feel that way. But after looking at what the driver said and NASCAR's perspective on it, which, you know, they were in a lose-lose situation. They're going to get burned either way for whatever they say. I guess they made the right call and did the right thing. I just don't really agree with it. And I don't know if there's another way to work around it. So I guess I'm forced to just say that they did the right thing because... That's what they've done in past history. That's what they'll probably continue to do. I mean, they made their bed now, so they got to lay in it. If this happens again at another track where the tire's just chilling on the tip of the grass during green flag pit stops, that's the key here. You got to let it play out because if you don't, then that is wild inconsistency. Quickly, let's chat about the other series that were in action in America's Heartland this weekend. Camping World Truck Series had Kyle Busch in the field, and Kyle Busch won. Shocker. Fifth straight win for his team, though, Kyle Busch Motorsports, and Kyle's second win of the season coming in double overtime. That is impressive in and of itself. But I think the more impressive feat is KBM's five in a row. Kyle said it himself. I mean, it's pretty awesome. You know, we've had um, some really great years over the years and had some great accomplishments as a team. And uh, it's just a, a true team effort and a testament to everybody at Kyle Busch Motorsports, everybody at Rowdy Manufacturing, all the guys that do a great job, guys and girls back in the shop. And so uh, it's fun to have uh, the opportunities with with running for my own trucks and going out there and, and be able to put on good shows, good finishes, good races, and work with some good, talented people. And somebody who may be driving a Kyle Busch Motorsports truck eventually, but he's currently chilling in Xfinity, winning races, also doing so in the Arkham Menard series is Ty Gibbs. He wins the race at Kansas, leads every single lap, and I did not tweet it out, but my dad is a witness. I told him before the green flag, I said, my bold prediction, Dad, Ty Gibbs is going to lead every lap of this race. You watch. And boom, he did it. And I thought that was kind of bold because in the K&N series, like, that usually happens. Derek Krause did it a time or two. But Arca is a little different, especially on a mile and a half. But he did it, second win of the season, and he's going to get a whole hell of a lot more. Hey, Ty, I feel like I've asked you this before, uh, but you just make it really look so easy. 
is it that easy for you in the car? I mean, you're obviously in great equipment, but is it that easy for you behind the wheel? Like, are you just mowing down laps or are you up on the wheel the whole time? Um, I feel like a lot of, you know, what growing up, I feel like watching the best dudes do their jobs. It looked always looked easy. And, but you know, that, that comes from hard work and that comes from being, wanting to be the best. And I want to be the best, you know, the best driver I could be. And I want to be the best driver ever. That's I wouldn't be here if I wasn't um, wanting those things. So um, I, I really work hard at my job and for anybody that doesn't feel like they, I don't work at all for any, anything, you know, I do, they can come and spend a couple days with me and you, you can watch it. So um, I feel like I work really hard at what I do. I really enjoy it. And, you know, a lot of that is just, putting, you know, work in and that's what you, what you, that's what you got to do to be the best. And, and that's why I'm, what I'm doing. Is that the best burnout you've ever done? Mm, Phoenix 2019 k race was probably top of the charts. If you, I don't know if anybody can go back and watch that, but that is, that was huge. Um, but this was really cool too. You know, a mile and a half, it was awesome. Uh, I like the burnouts. I feel like it, you know, it puts the driver's personality into it. So I, uh, I like to do it and um, it's, it's a fun time. I don't know if you saw, but you blew the, the rear tire out, so your team actually had to change it to get it back to victory lane. So that's why I asked. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was there. I was just sitting and watching them do it. I told them I said I'd never do it again. Probably not true. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Ty. Interview time. Let's throw it over to my chat with Xfinity Series competitor for a long time in the 51, Jeremy Clements. He has an incredible story. From starting racing at a young age, bootstrapping his way up the ranks, almost losing his hand. You heard that right. He almost had his hand amputated in a racing incident. The incredible story he tells there. Overcoming some adversity and some poor decisions that he made in the 2010s. We get into that a little bit. Plus the incredible start that he's had to this Xfinity Series season. He's ahead of some huge, huge teams and heavy hitters in the series right now, and he is a great guy to talk to. Obviously talked about his 2017 win at Road America as well that day and what came along with it, and what the future may hold for Jeremy Clements himself and his team, Jeremy Clements Racing. Without further ado, here is my chat with the driver of the 51 Chevrolet in the Xfinity Series, Jeremy Clements. Pleasure to welcome on to the podcast this week, a longtime competitor in NASCAR. You definitely know the name. You may not know the full story, so that's why I wanted to have Jeremy Clements on this week, Victory Lane, to talk about his career, everything in between. But Jeremy, I got to start with Darlington because, and I'm not blowing smoke here because I'm talking to you, your yeah. throwback is one of, if not my favorite one, out of all three national series this weekend. It's a Dale Jarrett tribute. How did that whole idea come together in the first place? Because it looks phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. It's going to look sharp on the lady in black. Can't wait to honestly see what it looks like in person. It's not done yet at the moment, but um, we're still working on that. But uh, our decal guy is is doing it as we speak. So anyway, uh, Chuck Coon that owns All South Electric, uh, me and him just – started talking and trying to figure out what we were going to do. And we kind of came up with this, uh, together more, more really Chuck, uh, his idea. Okay. And, uh, when we were looking at different cars together, this one popped up and, uh, I was like, you know what, this, this is a good looking car. And obviously I I used to watch Dale Jarrett, you know, as a kid when he won the 500 and the 18 Mm -hmm. interstate batteries car. 
and just followed his career. Always thought he was a heck of a race car driver and, and really nice guy and uh, someone that you looked up to. So it was kind of a no brainer for me. I was like, you like, you like it, Chuck, uh, let's do it. And his dad, Charlie liked him as well. He passed away uh, four years ago. Uh, well, five years ago now, 2016. So uh, we kind of collaborated on this and, and ended up just going with this scheme and, and Dale. And then I uh, actually text Dale and asked him if he would uh, give me his blessing to run it. And he did. And uh, that was really good. And he's behind us. So uh, really looking for big things this weekend. And uh, we're, we're bringing the same car. Ran really well at Charlotte. I mean, at Atlanta, I'm sorry. Earlier this year, when we, were, we were legit a top five car. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping uh, putting that, that Dale Jarrett scheme on her uh, will make her even faster. And uh, you never know. We might could be a contender for this race. Yeah, you never know. That that was going to be one of my questions. Had you gotten to talk to Dale Jarrett himself yet, and what does he think of the car? But if he gave you his blessing, I'm sure that he probably loves it because, again, it looks identical to that scheme. Yeah, so I did actually, like I said, talk to him and uh, sent him the scheme, what we were thinking. And, I mean, I just want to make sure he was okay with it. Obviously, right. if he wasn't, I w we wouldn't do it. So, uh, yeah, I was getting, I was like, we need to pull the trigger and figure out what we're doing. And, yeah. you know, cause we, we ordered a suit from uh Simpson and our, and hero cards, which a lot of fans want. So, uh, there might be another thing in the work, still working on the details of that. But, uh, yeah, it was just really cool. And, and like I said, talking to Dale made it even better and man, it would be something special to, to finish or even possibly win the race this weekend. That would yeah. be, uh, just icing on the cake for sure feel like your spotter and Brandon Brown's spotter is going to have a little tough time differentiating since he released a UPS scheme or Dale Jarrett tribute for himself. It's going to be hard to differentiate those Brown machines this weekend, right? Yeah, I know. I better I better tell my spotter that. I don't know if, you know, I don't know <laughs> how much he pays attention to, to things like that. So, yeah. I better get with him and, and tell him, be like, don't don't mistake the, the 68 for, for the 51. Yeah. Uh, but it was funny. I put out a little sneak peak of the car last week and brandon texted me and said are, are you doing a dale jarrett throwback and i was like yeah and he said me too and i was like oh wow <laughs> so you know i mean it's it's impossible to know what other teams are doing yeah. we have no idea we don't we don't all communicate about it you know i mean it's just you just kind of go with what you're wanting and mm -hmm. i mean it is what it is you know i i, I hate there's two of them but hell it's uh it, it's pretty cool It'll be pretty cool to see two of those schemes out there wanting. I mean, that that's probably never happened. So yeah. uh, we're just going to run with it and have fun with it. And that's what I think Throwback Weekend is all about, too, really. Yeah, I got a Dale Jarrett diecast right over there because he's my dad's favorite driver. So it's going to be really cool to to see that those two cars on the track. It's going to be like Formula One, like the same paint schemes. And you and Brandon are probably going to be running around the same place on the racetrack since you guys are around each other in points and the running order. So That'll be fun to see. And thanks for sharing how that came together. Cause I love when the sponsor gets involved too. It makes it that much more special. So that's pretty cool. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So I, I feel like you got to include your partner, uh, obviously for that race. And, you know, I wanted Chuck to be involved and no make a decision with me. So, uh, really it was, it came on our two shoulders and, and this is what we ended up with. So I'm excited. I think, uh, Chuck and his son Chad are coming to the race and, I definitely want to put on a good outing for them and, and our other partners on the car this weekend too. So 
I'm really looking forward to it. Darlington's definitely one of my favorite tracks. It's a lot of fun. It's very challenging though. So mm-hmm. there might be laps where you you're like, this is a lot of fun. And then the next couple laps and the tires are going away and the cars not handling as good. You're like, okay, I don't know if I like it as much now. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny how it works for that place. Yeah, yeah, I hear you there. Well, let's talk about your season to date, Jeremy, because it has been quietly, and I emphasize quietly because I feel like a lot of people are not paying attention to what you guys are doing. You guys are ahead of all four junior motorsports cars, the Stuart Haas racing car, a Joe Gibbs racing car, and Brandon Built Motorsports in the point standings right now. I'm going to repeat that one more time. All four (laughs) JRM cars, Stuart Haas, JGR, and Brandon Built, that is one of the most underappreciated storylines of this season to date so far, in my opinion. What has changed in the offseason for you guys to have this newfound performance week after week? And you guys are solidly inside the top 10 in the point standings, outrunning teams that have so much more budget than you guys. That is really cool, man. I tell you, uh, that's pretty special to me being the you know, team owner, driver, uh, mechanic, uh, shop sweeper i mean all trades yeah i I try to do it all so that's really special to me i I just want to try to stay up there too that's going to be obviously the big key but Mm -hmm. uh yeah we're we're eighth in points after eight races wow i i didn't really going in this season i just think if we can make the playoffs that'd be that'd be great and obviously i want to win a race i want to we've won one before Mm-hmm. No reason why we can't do it again if we have everything going for us in a particular race. Uh, so I'm really, I really think we can still do that too. But yeah. uh, over the off season, I went after Mark Setzer. A couple races for the season ended last year and was able to snag him up. And he started working for us two weeks after the season ended last year. And really over the off season, I've never had a crew chief full time just because it's, it's honestly so expensive. And, you know, once we stopped racing, the the money stops there's no money coming in it's mm-hmm. just all going out so uh <laughs> you know obviously we win we get what we get in the points in december sometime and then yeah once that comes in it's it's over for a, a month or two so yeah uh, we try to you know obviously conserve and we've just never had a crew chief full-time over the winter uh we we made mark uh was able to come in and get him in here uh full-time he was able to come in and work on the cars over the off season. I told him what things we were battling. You know, we try to go out over each race, like for Atlanta example, when we ran so good, I went back uh, and told him last year what I battled and we, we run the same car. So I said, Mark, the car was doing this. We had this. And then I put it, you know, all on him to, to decide what we should go with. Mm-hmm. Obviously he asked me as his opinion, but I told him when he came into this deal that, I wanted him to steer the ship, you know, make setup calls, make calls at the racetrack. If they're right, they're, that's that's awesome. If they're wrong, uh, don't be – I'm not going to be mad at you, buddy. So uh, somebody's got to do it. But uh, Mark's been great, man. I think he – I saw his performance back when he was part-time with uh, Viva Motorsports and, and Brandon Godovic, uh, their team. And I really thought – it was like when they showed up, they did pretty good and they weren't full time and that makes it even harder in my opinion. So, yeah, uh, I always kind of had my eye on, them, uh, e- even years ago and then, uh, just kind of worked out and then, uh, was able to get them. And I, I really feel like him coming has made us better. 
And then, you know, my, my guys at the shop, we only have three others. And mm-hmm. obviously, uh, they've been a big part of this, more signed Dave. And they they work their tails off. They only get better at what they do. And then our, our engine shop uh, is slowly getting better for sure where we need to be battling the teams we battle with the Roush Yates engines and the ECR and the Hendrick. You know, uh, our, our engine shop is 99% dirt late models. And then maybe 1% Jeremy Clements racing engine. So <laughs> it's just kind of on the side and, you know, they'll, uh, they'll work on it hardcore for a, a day or two before yeah. we need it. And then, uh, you know, back to the dirt stuff. So, uh, I feel like all that's just getting better. So that's, that's kind of why I think you're seeing an, an improvement maybe right now too. Tommy Joe Martins has his own podcast and he talks a lot about the battle from 10th to 25th in the Xfinity series, once you get past JGR, SHR, JRM, kind of the heavy hitters of the series. And that's where teams like Tommy Joe, yourself, the Siegs, um, and a bunch of other mid-pack teams, that's where they live. And the competition is ridiculously fierce. And TV doesn't do that justice, but you're in it every week, so you understand that. You are leading that battle, not just leading that battle, you're ahead of some of the bigwigs like that. And you mentioned how much that means to you because you're a jack of all trades. You do everything yourself. And this organization is so small compared to the behemoths that you're racing against. So the key is trying to keep this up, right? And like you said, Mark is is there and he's you know getting everything better slowly but surely. But to get off to the start that you guys have got on, gotten off to, to have that position right now in the top 10 solidly in points, you're sitting pretty right now in terms of potentially qualifying for the playoffs. I know it's far away and a lot can happen, but yeah. right now you got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. Is this probably the best start to a season you've had in your Xfinity career? Yeah, I would definitely say so from what I can think of, but being eighth in points is so solid. And we've went after more stage points this year versus any other year ever. And that's really been a, a big factor of it as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, we this weekend starts off an 11 race stretch. We've been working really hard, on, as I'm sure every team has on, mm-hmm. not just this weekend, on uh, next weekend at Dover and then Coda and then Charlotte. Uh, we're, we're working on cars five races from now. So yeah. we're, we're really trying to be ahead of the game. And it does make it a little easier when we just are able to show up and race. There was no practice, no qualifying, because we only had to bring one car. And that does make life easier for, for a small team like us, for sure. Uh, we, we do practice and qualify at Coda and Charlotte. So I kind of dr- dread those two weeks coming up, to be honest, because that's, that's four cars that, you know, we've got to get race ready because yeah. you really never know what can happen in any of that stuff. So you got to you gotta have your best stuff ready at all times because uh, you don't want to put yourself in a hole. But been really proud of our, our team with, you know, I don't even want to brag on us, but, you know, no, I'm knocking on the table. I'm knocking <laughs> on it too for you. Yeah. No mechanical failures, stuff like that. And that's really been in the past something that's bit us a lot because we run everything we have is a lot of used stuff. Like the cars we're racing are used. We never even had a brand new car. The, they're always been brand new to us, but they, they were ran at another team. Mm-hmm. We buy a lot of used parts. Uh, so this year, We've tried to make, uh, you know, things better and not buy so many used parts. Uh, like Brembo gives us hell of a good break. 
different things like that. We've upgraded our rear end gears, transmissions, uh, all the stuff it takes. A lot of people don't think about all that stuff. So uh, been servicing the cars as well as possible after every race, taking them all apart. And it just takes time to do all that. And when you only have four full-time guys, it's really hard to do that. But we're trying to make an effort to, to be better and do all the things it takes to, to prevent the mechanical gremlins from, from catching you. So we've been good on that end. Hopefully we can stay that way. I find it interesting what you said that you're dreading the upcoming races with practice and qualifying because I feel like a year and a half, two years ago, like nobody would ever have thought that because practice and qualifying were just so ingrained in the fabric of a race weekend. But now that we're kind of getting used to this new normal for 2021 and we may see some of it next year, we don't know. Do you find it interesting that the mindset has changed for you as a team owner and a driver that it's like, well, practice and qualifying. Okay. Maybe I can tune my car up a little bit, but it just makes for so much more of a logistical hurdle in the weeks leading up. It's kind of interesting how the mindset shifts. Yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, nef- never would I thought that for sure. As a driver, yeah, I, I definitely want practice and qualifying. Um, team owner, I not really. <laughs> <laughs> it is cheaper. It saves us a set of tires or two. Yeah. Uh, that's $2,150. Uh, we're there less of a day or two. That's more less travel things like that so a lot of cost savings yeah and the race pays the same so it it definitely saves its money you know being a driver i'm all in for qualifying and practice for sure especially a track we've never been to like coda for example charlotte uh we don't really obviously need to practice um you know but i think i haven't looked at the charlotte schedule but i I think we're only getting 50 minutes at coda and that's gonna be really (laughs) really small window there you might get, you might get two runs maybe with with everybody going out there. I'm sure cautions are going to mm-hmm. happen. You won't th- that won't be much at all. So uh, you better be ready before you show up. On uh, I guess I'll have to get on i racing a lot <laughs> and practice and uh, see how that is. But um, yeah, last year, you know, we didn't have much practice at the Indy Road Course. Uh, we had we had more than that. I think we had two sessions, but. Uh, I, I, I did, they didn't have it or something on the iRacing. I don't remember, but I had to get on my Xbox on Forza seven and I practiced that way. Oh man! And it, it really helped though. I, I, I really, I showed up and the first, uh, practice out, we were, we were like fifth fastest. So I was like, well, that must've worked. I need to remember that. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, like, like for instance, we got to get, like I said, four cars ready, which it's not going to be a problem. It's just more work. Mm-hmm and you know uh kind of more cost yeah, too added you know both cars need to be wrapped the way they need to be uh we need to have all the parts ready for them so it's just it's just more work more cost all that kind of stuff so that's kind of why as a team motor i really do enjoy just showing up and racing and i feel like it narrows the gap from us to the big teams as well yeah i hear you on that and you mentioned, you know, this is a small team. You guys have, what, four full-time employees compared to the hundreds that Gibbs, Stuart Haas, Penske, Junior Motorsports have. And this has always been a family ordeal for you and, and your guys' family, right? Uh, you and your dad, you guys own this 51 car. I read on your website that your uncle actually crew chief for Rex White back in the day, which is pretty badass. I didn't know that. Uh, so yeah. this, this whole thing has always been a family atmosphere type of thing. 
and it's just on a bigger stage now. But at the end of the day, it's still a tight knit group, and that's what makes it special and rewarding. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Uh, my my uh, uncle Lewis, he won the championship 1960 with Rex White in NASCAR. Crazy. So that's pretty cool. And then my my grandfather Crawford, he was uh, crew chief in the sport, worked with a lot of big name drivers. So they're the reason why you know my family's in racing. They're the ones that got us started. All mm-hmm. of us started, and uh, my dad and uncles kept it going. You know, they raced some, and then once they figured out. We need to do something to, to make a living. They they uh, started building racing engines and been doing that ever since. And yep. they they work they literally work day and night. And, and it's it's like they, they just have such a passion for it. They love it. Uh, and now they're they're the best dirt late model engines in the country. Yeah, uh, for sure. So it, it's pretty cool to see and all the success that they've had. And you know, I've always been the driver. I've always been. I want to drive. I want to race. Mm-hmm. I don't really. Hate to say it, don't really care about building an engine. I really don't. I, <laughs> I want to drive. Sexy thing. No, I want to drive that beast. So, uh, been doing that, you know, and and I'm hopefully can do that for a, a lot of years to come. Because uh, if I have to take over an engine shop, it's not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad news for everybody. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about your racing career a little bit more, Jeremy. I know you started in go karts when you were nine. Raced mostly at Thunder Seven. Valley. What was it? Mm-hmm. Seven. <laughs> Seven. All right. I misread Seven. my information. I'll, I'll adjust that. Seven years old it is. Uh, Thunder Valley and Cherokee Speedway were the two that you yeah. raced on, though. I have that right, correct? That's right. That's right. Okay. So take me back to when you were seven, not nine. Yes. <laughs> and when you started racing, you obviously, I mean, it's in your family, so it's in your blood. And you caught the bug pretty quickly, and you were pretty good at it. You won a lot of races and championships, started moving up, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, I mean, you got it. My whole career has been one step led to another. And, you know, my grandfather is the one that got my myself and my brother Jason started when I was seven. And he was he's uh, seven years older. So he was taking us to race go-karts uh, every other week because my brother had to go to his uh, his mom's house uh, and, and be with them. They wouldn't bring us and let us race when uh, he wasn't racing. So and then my grandfather passed away. You know, when I was uh, in 96, when I was 11 or 12, and then had to find another ride. And uh, my, my dad didn't like go-kart racing, so had to do something else. And uh, went and got a race car. Finally talked him into getting a race car when I was like 13. And we bought a old used race car and started racing four-cylinders and uh, won a lot of those. And then we were able to used all that money and bought a super late model from Barry Wright race cars and mm-hmm. started went we won our seventh race out against uh guys like Mike Duval, Jeff Cook, Ricky Weeks, uh nice. the local the the big guys that you were racing against in Cherokee uh week in and week out. So mm-hmm. and then we started uh, we bought a we got with uh let's see Kenny Appling who who was owning a car for Kirk Shelverdine. Uh they were building engines for him and they talked him into taking me to Talladega and Charlotte in 2002 in an ARCA race. So that's how we got started in ARCA. Uh, so, yeah, just like I said, one thing led to another. Yeah. And uh, it's always been it's like, what can we piece together for the next step? Yeah, we'll get to your ARCA debut, your win there and some, some more Xfinity stuff. But 
I could not talk to you without hearing your perspective once again on the day that changed your life forever, which was July 24th, 2004. You were 19 years old. I don't think a lot of people know this story, which is bananas to me because when I heard it for the first time, I had no idea and I was, my jaw was on the floor. Um, as I said, it changed your life forever. You had a pretty traumatic injury and I'll just let you take it from there since you are the one that lived it. Well, it's, it's one of those deals where I, you didn't see that coming for sure. You know, no, I, I'm one of them type of people that think everything happens for a reason, but man, I'm still kind of searching for that one, uh, to be (laughs) honest, but man, we were, we were racing dirt late models, uh, and Arca that, that same year is 2004. Uh, that particular weekend I was running the dirt late model and we had raced at somewhere in Tennessee, a big five eighths mile track and it was rough as heck. And I remember Bill Elliott was racing there. We were running like third and, um, a rock, something hit the oil tank, knocked a hole in it. We got home, uh, really late the next, the next morning, five, six AM. Uh, we're supposed to go and race three eleven in Winston-Salem or near Winston-Salem, Madison, North Carolina. And, uh, I remember getting to the shop. It was like noon or one and we had to wash the car and, uh, you know, replace the oil tank and fix all that mess. And I was like, there's no way I don't even want to race. I don't even care about it today. <laughs> and that took a lot. So anyway, my dad comes and he's like, no, we're going racing. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So that was, that was just the start of this miserable day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get there late. We miss practice. Uh, we qualify. Uh, we didn't do good. We had the wrong gear in the car just cause we missed practice. Things like just, it's not going well. <laughs> Terrible day. Yeah. And, and then, it gets worse. Uh, yeah. And then the race, happens we're running mid-pack you know just just sucking really and uh i mean there's like five five laps to go i think going down the straightaway the car just explodes it feels like and uh the drive shaft just comes in with me and it just it just broke uh really because i feel like the night before because the car was just beat up from the night mm-hmm. before and it yeah what paired right you know all that kind of stuff uh so yeah it got my hand kind of nicked my my lap and uh, about basically the doctor says like a bomb went off on my hand and they brought me to the uh, winston-salem baptist memorial hospital where uh, they did a seven eight hour surgery was able to repair it because they wanted to just amputate it and my dad was like no they're we're not doing that so uh, we'll take them somewhere else so they they were god willing they were able to fix it uh, I stayed there for a few weeks. They put my hand uh, in my side and got the got the skin graft, and it, that took a month. And then I came back and they uh, took my hand from my hip, and the the skin took. Then they did a bone graft and a tendon graft from my foot. It was just it's like a one thing after another. It took ten surgeries. Took a year of trying to get this hand better because there's a lot of things in your hand that make it work. Yeah. And, there was a lot of things that were missing. So, uh, I'm definitely blessed to have my hand for sure. Cause, uh, they could have amputated it and I don't know what I would be doing. So I just said, man, I need this hand to grip a steering wheel. And then they, they made it happen. And, uh, they were, they weren't so sure of it at first. They were like, you're never raced again. And I'm like, well, y'all are wrong, but just do what, do all your, do the best work you can. Let's just be, you know? Yeah. And I'm just, that's all I'm thinking. So, 
it was a it was a bad ride man it was it was a lot of pain and a lot of bad things that i wasn't prepared for and i didn't think something like that could ever happen we were in a really nice barry wright race car and those cars are really well built yeah and i didn't even ever think that that could happen didn't even know it could happen so i don't know we weren't prepared for that Mm-mm. uh they started running carbon fiber drive shafts after that happened so um i don't know they, they were coming out during that time and, and then once this happened it really took off so yeah. uh, it might have saved a lot of other guys i don't know but it's just one of them things that uh it happened and it's like wow wonder what would have happened if it didn't happen so uh i actually had a deal with uh it was a team called Mack hill motorsports and i think reagan smith drove the car i had a five race deal with them uh in the xfinity series that year too that never happened so uh yeah just just one of them things uh it's called life you never know where it's going to take you so i hear you describe that story and i really think you're underselling it but you're, you're the one that lived it so i need people to understand a drive shaft came through this man's car and as the doctor said, hurt his hand so bad that the doctor said a bomb basically exploded. You're 19, 20 years old at this point. I believe I saw when you were 20, you had 10 surgeries that year. Skin grafts, bone grafts, took tendons from your foot, put it in your hand to make it work properly. Had to relearn and train your hand to do what it's supposed to do. You're doing all this at 20 years old. That had to be one of the most insanely stressful why me type of moments and just periods in your life i mean i I know that you've talked about it at length a bunch of times but hearing it time after time it still is crazy to me that a you were able to overcome that and b now that you are where you are having all the success that you are you're able to look back on it and you know not be upset not be mad you lost your xfinity ride you lost some prime years of your racing career. Obviously you're thankful that you have your hand and you're alive and all that good stuff. But to be able to reflect on that now, it just is still so, so incredibly moving to me. The fact that you were able to overcome that and the fact that you look at it now with a, you know what that happened, but we got through it type of attitude. I think that speaks (laughs) to your character. You know what I mean? Well, you know, in racing, you got a battle, man, every, every week, up and down it's a roller coaster it's been like that my whole career Mm -hmm. just because you won last week doesn't mean next week it's going to go well the next race so you i guess you learn to to keep fighting whatever comes your way and you know uh i had my faith in the good lord was really strong and i was able to get through it with that but oh yeah it was very difficult no doubt about it and i had a lot of dark days where it was terrible you know laying at home with my hand sewn to my to my uh stomach basically and i i mean it was terrible it was miserable so i had a good uh, my mom and dad took care of me my my girlfriend at the time was was really strong with me and uh i just had i had good supporters and uh thank god i was able to get through it and and, and really still when i get in the car oh man <laughs> can you hear, can you still see me or hear me I, I can still see you yes i can still hear okay. you fine I had another call come in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was just, uh, I still thank God when I get in a car, thanks for saving my hand. Uh, let's, let's do what you put me here for. Uh, I never forget it. So it's, uh, it's still in my head for sure. Every time I strap into a car, cause, uh, I could definitely not have that chance and opportunity. And 
something I don't take for granted for sure. Well, you got back in the car and you had success because that happened in 04. You're back in the car in 05. Two years after that, you won your first ARCA race in 2007 at Nashville. I got to imagine the emotions once you finally crossed the start finish line. You had the trophy in your hand, celebrating in victory lane. Had to be all over the place considering what you went through in the past three, four years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And the dang week before we. We were going to literally win at Pocono, coming off of three, the last lap, coming to the checkered. We ran out of gas, and oh. it, wasn't, it wasn't a fuel race either. We just, they just, I, I don't, they didn't get it full or uh, whatever. And Michael McDowell, he ended up winning. Josh Wise finished second. I finished third. Man. I was talking about just gutted. It was, Phil Parsons was trying to reach me over the, on the radio. After I took the checkered, I just turned the stupid thing off. I was like, I ain't talking. It's not gonna be good. So I was so I was so mad. I was devastated. Then very next week we went to Nashville Super Speedway, which we're getting to go race again this year mm-hmm. in a couple months. It's gonna be cool. We haven't raced there since 2011. So uh yeah, that was an amazing day. Um man, back then in the Arca series, it was there was some really good teams. I mean you had uh, all these cup teams putting all these different drivers at race, you know, now like Stenhouse, uh, Casey Mears raced, um, obviously Michael McDowell, Josh Wise, uh, Frank Kimmel uh, was, was still there winning a lot. Uh, there was a lot of good teams, so many good teams. So yeah. to win that day was just phenomenal. And I, I still, I have the, I remember in the driver's meeting, they showed that guitar and I was like, that'd be cool to have. And I then I didn't, that. I didn't really think I that we were going to win, honestly. And it just one of them days that we went out there and our car was fast. I, I don't really – it's one of them things you just never know. And yeah. it was it was it's like it was meant to be. So, uh, that was special. We had, you know, my my dad and myself and, like, three, three other guys uh, at the track. And we worked our guts off. We had a, a pit crew that, you know, uh, that, like, just guys from our shop. It wasn't like any – cup teams was with us so mm-hmm. to, to beat all those guys that day was was just so cool in an old car with our engine couldn't have gotten any better so it was uh i still cherish that victory to be honest because it's something that we shouldn't even have been able to do yeah talk about the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in racing that was in 07 a few years later you make your xfinity series debut at pike's peak of all places first of all what was it like to make your debut there? What was it like to race there? Because that was before my time. I never was able to see a race there, but I know the legend of it, and it seems pretty cool. Yeah, so that was that was in 2003, actually. Oh, uh, it was backwards. Yeah, my bad. It, it's okay. Yeah, we were. I was 18, and it was one of those deals where I think we were looking at the entry list. We saw they weren't going to have enough cars. We bought a car, mm-hmm. and we threw it together. We went out there. We sucked. We wrecked early. Uh, kind of a miserable experience. I was gonna to say honest. it didn't last that long. <laughs> no, it was. It was. We were not. We we shouldn't have went. So mm-hmm. uh, we made a mistake. Went, and I don't, I don't think I drove uh, another Xfinity race till the end of '07. That's right. Uh, for for McGill Motorsports for the last five races mm-hmm. for them, they were shutting down, and you know that that was uh, sinking ship when I got on it, but. Uh, yeah, so it, it's just been <laughs> – I feel like I just never had the right opportunity, to be honest yeah. with you. 
Yeah, I hear you on that. Well, you also raced at IRP. You raced at Montreal in your Xfinity Series career. Because I went back on Racing Reference, and I was looking through the places that you race, and Pikes Peak, IRP, and Montreal were the ones that jumped out to me, specifically those last two ones. They're not on the schedule right now. Uh, who knows in the future? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, people know you from winning that race at Road America on the road course, which we'll get to here in a minute. But did you like racing at IRP in Montreal? Because those are two fan favorite tracks that I would love to see come back. I love racing at Montreal. It was it was such a blast to go there. And, and that road course is a lot of fun. And even Montreal is a city. I love spending time there. Mm-hmm. We would go from think we'd go from Watkins Glen straight to there and uh Burt transmissions that builds a lot of dirt late model transmissions they let us use and stay at their shop so we were there a whole week man and we had a lot of fun in the city of Montreal it was it was a blast but uh team wise it cost you a lot of money because it's expensive up there you gotta everybody's gotta have all the right documentation and and then uh what I remember like when you get the money from the winnings they would tax you uh like montreal tax you or something and then the, and then you got to pay u.s taxes like Interesting. By, by the time you got your money it, it was it was already down there that you know 40 percent i think so it, wow. all that part kind of sucked but the racing i really loved it and i would love to go back and race there for sure um and then irp from what i remember they would make us it was a long day at irp we had to park outside it's a one-day event you had to unload all your stuff, bring it in, and like push it in. And I'm talking about it, it was just miserable. That that <laughs> part of it sucked. And then after the race, you had to push it all back. Oh. And then, man, it's a lot of work in yeah. one day. It so is. that that part of it was no fun. The racing there is a lot of fun. Uh, the one thing I do remember about that too, as our worst paying race of the year. So. Mm-hmm. We raced there in 2011, I think the last time, or 2012, one of those years. That's by far the worst paying race there was. So I think it was it was 2011 because in 2012, we went to the big track and we started racing there. We finished 10th that race, and I remember that was like the second best paying race of the year. And so it went from the worst paying race of the year yeah. to the second. And as a team owner, you know, you're looking at that, obviously. So yeah. that was that was a big step in the right direction, even though maybe the product at IRP is a better product. Obviously people have different opinions, mm-hmm. but I do love racing at the, at the big Indy uh, racetrack. And now it's, you know, a road course last year and this year for us. So uh, that's been a lot, a ton of fun. So uh, yeah, I would hope I could race on at IRP again. I, I just hope they'd make some changes to it to, as far as not the track, but the rest of what I right. talked about. Right. I got you on that. So skipping around a little bit here, I know you spent some time with JD Motorsports before coming back to JCR full-time on a full-time basis. Skipping over to 2010, though, and then 2011, there was a decision-making process that I want you to take me through from going part-time to full-time. And I believe in that period of time, you maybe DNQ'd a few races, and I'm sure that probably was, you know, weighing on you a little bit. Back then, I guess it's, what, 10 years ago now. That's crazy to think about. Uh, the decision-making process to go from a part-time team running about half the schedule to full-time operation, what were the pros and cons with that? And then when you DNQ'd those few races in between those time periods, 
were those like a big deal to you? Did they weigh on you or was that just kind of like a different time and part of racing? Well, the thing with Johnny Davis's team, it was just the number. We were running their number. It was still our own team. So uh, at that time, man, I think, to be honest, just the equipment obviously wasn't great at all. You know, and like I said earlier about our our, uh, equipment, it just – we didn't – we were running – everything was used, obviously, then. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of stuff broke, and uh, that really played into a lot of it. And then, uh, yeah, from we made the decision in 2011 to go full time when the car, I think they were coming out with that new car. We ran it in 2010, some, which is the car we're running now. And at that time, that that car was meant like we could run the same car at Daytona uh, and Bristol. And we did because we only had two cars most that whole season. So that really played into it a lot because we were like, wow, we don't have to have all these different cars anymore. And that that really made it where we could jump in full time. And I remember we ran the same car at Daytona, Bristol, uh, the road courses. I mean, it was crazy, man. Wow. So that that was that was uh, made the difference for us to go full time. Okay, that makes sense there. Um, I also want to talk about 2013. Uh, you hit a bit of a roadblock there. And I, I don't want to get into the minutia stuff because people that – you know, know you and follow the sport. They know what happened and they can look it up, but you were suspended for uttering a racial slur. I'm just curious to know how that impacted you in the immediate aftermath of that incident. And especially looking back on it now, considering where we are as a society in 2021 and Kyle Larson's incident last year, curious how that affected you and impacted you in the aftermath of that. Well, it was obviously a, a huge mistake on my part. Said something that I knew, definitely knew better uh, of saying. So, mm-hmm. uh, man, so. looking back at that was a, was a bad time for sure. And uh, I, I definitely erased a word from, from my vocabulary for sure. I went and learned a lot. And, uh, yeah, we all definitely make mistakes. I definitely screwed up big time and was able to learn from it and rebound and mm-hmm. get back on track. So, um, with all that being said, uh, definitely after that happened, definitely felt good about being able to learn so much from it and, uh, try to learn from our, our mistake for sure. But once you make that mistake once you better never make it again, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. And like you said, I mean, you learned your lesson, so you understand the mistake that you did make. And now I'm sure, you know, watching Kyle Larson and, and him and atoning for the mistakes that he made, how he handled stuff in the aftermath, maybe some parallels there. Did you ever talk to him about that at all? No, I sure never did. I never did get a chance to talk to Kyle, but I know he he went through a, a learning process as well. I hope he obviously learned from it, and I'm sure he did. I, I haven't talked to him since, you know. I don't really even see any of the drivers just – you know, we just show up and race. So I hadn't even seen Kyle uh, since I don't even know when. So, yeah, I, I definitely didn't get a chance to talk to him. I hated to see all that transpire for sure uh, for our sport, for mm-hmm. us as individuals, because uh, we're, we're definitely better than that. So, 100%. like I said, I, I, I hate to see that happen, but he obviously did the necessary steps. And I, I know he's a better person from it now, for sure. And I, and I know uh, he learned a lot as well. Yeah, he did. And as did you. So 
it's good to see people learning from their mistakes and that's what you did that's what kyle did let's talk about some success some fun stuff now yeah. jeremy uh 2017 you made the playoffs thanks to your win at road america i mean god what a day that was i remember like it was yesterday i was moving into my apartment it was my senior year of college uh you win the race crazy last lap with matt tift that car was built in 2008 and you won with it 10 years later and beating the guys that you beat with that car probably made it that much sweeter kind of like we talked about earlier just that day overall take me back there and just what you remember about it all yeah it was an unbelievable day i'm telling you that man it was uh it was crazy that that car was was literally wrecked two weeks before at mid ohio uh got into a coming over that hill what i don't even know what turn that is but it's that hill where you go down and back right anyway we all jammed up and uh i knocked the front end off because uh we was like a traffic jam so we all there was three or four cars that got into it but uh we knocked the front end off uh we worked our tails to get that car ready yeah uh two weeks later we went to road america hell i didn't even think that 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 car would drive straight because uh, i thought I really felt like the clip was bent and we just didn't have enough time to, to get it fixed. Right. So right. Threw, threw it back together, showed up at road America. Uh, one of my favorite road courses that I've been on for sure. Mm -hmm. And my very first one. Uh, so that makes it even more special, but, yeah. um, I remember in practice, we were pretty fast and, uh, that year the tires were wearing out really quickly and the cars, uh, you know, the, four drive off the corners was big mm -hmm. and our car just didn't drop off seemed like the rest. So, uh, I remember that day we started 25th cause qualifying got rained out and we come to the front. Uh, we started leading, uh, we pitted the end of the second segment restarted towards, you know, mid mid pack got to the lead was able to lead for a while. And then we, we, it was our time to pit and, uh, I think Matt Tift had pitted earlier, and and then he had a big lead. We were able to come back from seventh or eighth or so, past mm -hmm. all those cars. This is all green flag, you know. The whole the last segment was all green flag. I think it was twenty five laps, so right. a long segment of green flag racing. <laughs> come back, uh, caught Matt. We were I was definitely faster than him, but it was really hard to pass him. Uh, I was trying not to, you know, get into him. I remember I was – every corner I was just losing rear drive. The the back – the rear of the car wasn't under me as good as it was earlier. You were slipping, whatever, I remember. For whatever reason, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe that said tires. Who knows? But um, I remember coming to uh, the white flag, I remember I was thinking, I got to get ahead of him because if there's a caution, he'll win the race. So mm -hmm. I, I was really beating him through the last – three corners and i got i was like i gotta take my chance the last corner so i went in there i will hopped uh spun into him took him out like dang you idiot what took are you yourself doing out in a way oh yeah that's what i'm saying i'm like you stupid idiot i'm like i couldn't i was so mad at myself that's why <laughs> i said so mad at myself like you just gave this race away i went from that to got the car refired within seconds and that was a miracle in itself because remember i keep saying we use a lot of used stuff so mm -hmm. our starters half the time don't work yeah. <laughs> so 
I was so thankful that that starter worked that time because half the time we got to get pushed off. Oh, man. But it was uh, – got the car refired, went up that big hill, the front stretch, took the white. Uh, Danny Gill, my crew chief, at that time was like, man, just bring it on home. You got this. There's nobody in sight. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, we're going to win? <laughs> I couldn't – I couldn't believe it. And I started thinking about what I was going to say. I remember there was two lap cars in front of me. I just followed them. Like I didn't even care how fast they were going. I, yeah. And I was, I was thinking of what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do. Uh, yeah, I know I'm like, I know we need this engine in a couple of weeks. So I can't really <laughs> burn it down. Uh, what, you know, it was just crazy. So, uh, best day ever though, man. I, it's one of them things that you work so hard for. And, uh, it finally happened. So it was an amazing day. Like I said, best day ever, uh, still think about it. And man, it just makes you, makes me so hungry to want to win another one even worse. So I, that's why I definitely said earlier in the interview that I want to, I want to go win one bad. So, uh, still think about that race win. And it was, it was such a cool, it was on Sunday, no cup race. We were on NBC. Yeah. Yeah. Went any better. It was a hell of a day. I remember it like it was yesterday, and I'm sure you do too, because you lived it, man. That was uh that was a heck of a day. All right, I got a couple more questions for you, and I'll let you run. I really appreciate your time. Let's talk about no your team, because you guys are based in South Carolina, not Charlotte, not the hub, Spartanburg's own, Spartanburg's finest, right? So you guys yeah. were actually able to work during COVID when everything was shut down in North Carolina, but you really weren't able to do a whole heck of a lot because you didn't know where you were going, when you were going yeah. there, and what kind of car you needed. So, in a way, it was nice that you were able to work on your stuff, but you didn't really have anything to work on because you didn't know what was happening. You're exactly right. I mean, I remember we got to Atlanta, and the the morning I hadn't even been to the track yet, and I'm in a hotel, and I'm getting rumors that the race is going to be called, and I'm thinking, well, that's crazy. This never happened. So. Yeah. Race ended up getting called. I actually rode back in our hauler, and, man, I was thinking, this is just nuts. And then we were off for, uh was like two months maybe? Ish, and yeah, yet, something like that. Our guys, we were able to keep them employed, keep them working. Um, you know, some of those days, they didn't do a whole lot. But, <laughs> I mean, I was just glad that we could keep them, you know, a paycheck in their pocket. So, yeah. we didn't know what we were preparing for. Finally got word we're going to Darlington started working on that car, getting it ready. And yeah, it was, uh, I remember sitting at home, man. It was, it was okay at first, man. It was like, oh my gosh, what are we, what's going to happen? It's so, it was so nerve wracking, so scary to me as a driver, as an owner. It's like, is, are we still going to continue or what, what's going to happen to our sport? I don't have a clue. Just a lot of rap, rampant thoughts in your head, you know? So mm-hmm. to get back to go racing was a dream come true. It was like, oh, thank God we can go back racing. <laughs> We got, even though we got to do all this extra, all the stuff that we've never had to do before mm-hmm. and no practice, no qualifying and no people can come. I'll take it. I'll, I'll, yeah, whatever. So let's go. So that was, that was a great day when we got back to Darlington, uh, a year ago now, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you guys are based in South Carolina, as we said, advantages, disadvantages of not being in North Carolina and Charlotte where the hub is, but guys aren't even the only Xfinity team based down there because JD Motorsports is in Gaffney, I believe, in South Carolina as well. So 
What are the advantages and disadvantages from a team owner perspective of being based out of the hub of where everything usually is? I would definitely say it's a disadvantage. We have to bring our cars and our, all our parts come from, from Charlotte, a lot of it, Mooresville, Concord, our, our body guys there. So there's a lot of things that we have to do. A lot of gas money is spent, <laughs> you know, going to the R and D center with our cars in Concord. That's an hour and 10 minutes away. Mm. Uh, so yeah, there's just, there's definitely, I wouldn't, I don't know if there's any advantages really at all, but yeah, like I said, there's a lot of disadvantages, but, uh, besides that, I, I don't know. I don't, we're just, we're just used to it. It is what it is. And, uh, we deal with it and, uh, we just keep fighting, you know? Well, have there been any like thoughts or conversations of them moving the race shop to Charlotte or that area, or has it always just been one of those unspoken things where you guys are going to stay in Spartanburg for as long as you can? Well, it's really just because my grandfather built this shop in the seventies. We're actually still in the same shop. Uh, I raced go-karts out of four cylinders, dirt cars, Arca, wow. the same shop. That's awesome. Yeah, no lie. And then the engine shop, it all got added on to it, to the sides, everything. So this, uh-huh. this shop here in Spartanburg, they're, they're, my, my family's not moving, yeah. even though <laughs> for sure in a heartbeat, they're not going nowhere. This is what, <laughs> this is what, you know, everything they've got is here and yeah. it's all, you know, all this stuff's paid for. They're not moved. There's no need for them to move. So the engine shop is, is number one priority, you know, and this, this race car shop is definitely second. So, uh, to move up there just to be closer to that kind of stuff is, I don't really see, uh, I don't see why we would do it anyway. So, um, uh, if I got another ride or something, I'd love to move up there. I think it's a beautiful area. Uh, my wife, Courtney, she lived in uh, Cornelius, North Carolina, and that's pretty close to everything. I love being up there. And, all you know, all our friends are, are in racing. So yeah. we're, we're close to all them. And I enjoyed being up there for sure. But, you know, like I said, you just, you just battle what you're dealt with. And this is – we're in Spartanburg, and we just got to make the best of it. I hear you on that. You actually led me into one of my final questions. It's about your wife, Courtney. I did not know that she was a fashion blogger, so she's more famous uh, than you, obviously. Uh, that must keep things pretty interesting around the household, I'm sure. Well, it's funny. Uh, before I did this interview this morning, I had to take pictures for her. We go on vacations. I got to take pictures. <laughs> I got, you know, she's asking me, what are you doing today? Uh, what when, what can, what time can you come take a picture or a video? Or- Part-time husband, full-time picture taker. Yeah, and it's definitely kind of, uh, it can get annoying because she's really particular about her pictures and everything oh, yeah. she puts. It's not like we just walk up, take a picture. It's a whole complicated process. we got different outfits, <laughs> different different. Can't, we can't just go out. We have to do particular times. We have to look for particular walls that the, the color. Oh my gosh! I had no idea about any of this stuff, and now, <laughs> and now I do. It haunts me. So, uh, oh, man. I do, I do a lot of that stuff. Way more than I want to. I do complain a lot. She had, we have good friends in Atlanta. Uh, she, Allie, she takes her pictures for her sometimes, and I'm like, but she charges her obviously because that's what she mm-hmm. does. I'm free. But I'm like, anytime you go to Atlanta, just go. I don't care. I don't care <laughs> how much it costs. Just please. So, uh, yeah, it's funny. I just did that this morning. Uh, and we, we, we went to Myrtle Beach this weekend, did a lot of that. 
but yeah, she's, she's really big on TikTok. I don't even know. I don't have, I have a TikTok. But I don't even never post nothing. I just have it because of her, because she made me make it. Mm. She's got close to 400,000 followers on there. Wow. And, and then she's got. I'm going to look 90, her up right now. Yeah. And she's got 90 something on Instagram, 90 something thousand. I have way less, but, <laughs> but I am verified on Instagram. So she, mm. I got her, I got her there. And then she, she doesn't really do Twitter much. So I got, I got her covered in Twitter, but uh, yeah, she's, she's really good at what she does. And I'm very proud of her for, for sure. Even though I, I, I was just joking some about earlier. Do you know her uh, TikTok username at all? I searched Clements and I searched Courtney Clements, but I couldn't find her. Yeah, so she's still under her her uh, other name. So it's Courtney uh, Dryden, C-O-R-T-N-E-Y, and then D-R-Y-D-E-N. Got it. Let's see. Damn, she does have 393.5 thousand followers. Man. Yeah, it, it, I don't even understand. She started making that, yeah. She started making that when, uh, let's say the the year last year in February, she made a TikTok, was dancing around the house. I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing? She's like, oh, it's TikTok. You got to dance. I'm like, well, I ain't, <laughs> I ain't getting on there and dance. The only time I can dance, or when I think I can dance, is when I've had a few to drink, and it's not, pretty, <laughs> but I'm having fun. So I'm like, there's no way she wanted me to make a TikTok and do all this stuff. I'm like, no, have at it. <laughs> and she made it big, man. She gets a lot of campaigns with different companies that yeah. want her to use their products and they pay her. And so it's pretty cool. And, uh, so she's done, she's done this for a lot, a long time. Mm -hmm. When we married, I said, Hey, why don't you just do your, your, uh, social media stuff full time and, and you don't have to get a real job, you know, do that. And, uh, she's made it, she's made it pretty big. So, uh, really proud of her, but, uh, I don't want to have to take all the pictures and videos either. <laughs> I got no, enough no, no. to worry about. She's got to make it bigger so that way she can hire a full-time photographer, videographer, so that you don't have to do the work. But it's a good marriage and partnership because she supports your passion and interest in racing, and even though sometimes it's begrudgingly, you support her by taking pictures of her all the time. So it all works out. You guys are a good couple. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm on TikTok too. I do like some NASCAR stuff, so I'll have to send you some of my stuff and uh, maybe your wife can show you too. It's not it's not as popular as your wife's, but it's more topical to this conversation, so I think you may enjoy that. That's that's more my speed. You know, I All don't right. watch makeup and uh tutorials and Really? You know, yeah, I don't really <laughs> do that. So, the only time I watch it is hers and that's just because she wants me to like it and, and get another view, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. but she don't, she don't need my one view, but, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, man. I, I didn't know it's a whole nother world that I didn't know nothing about <laughs> and, and I do. So it's uh, definitely interesting. All right. Two more quick ones. I read somewhere that you have actually driven a cup car before. I didn't know that. Was it for JGR during some practice sessions or something? Do I have that right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I did some testing for them back in the day when it was like 2008 or so 2008 or nine mm -hmm. when they had a full blown test team and they could go test. Uh, yeah, I did some, did some of that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately nothing ever worked out with them to, to have a race to drive for. Uh, and like I said earlier, I really never felt like I got maybe an opportunity. I feel like I deserve with a, yeah. with a big, 
Um, you know, unfortunately just never happened. It's so sponsor driven, big money, and I've never been able to get that type of funding behind me. So I just keep doing it this way. Do you have any aspirations of maybe moving your Xfinity series team up to the cup series next gen? That's going to be announced in the next day or so is the time of this recording. Is that appealing to you at all as a team owner? Or are you kind of setting your ways with Xfinity for now? Man, that'd be a huge step. I don't know if we could do it. I mean, we would have to have some major backing under us and to build that new car. I hear some big figures, um, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because I feel like that car, I feel like it will hopefully narrow the field from, from your big teams, your small teams. So yeah. I'm very interested to see how that all plays out. I, I don't really know enough about it, but man, to, to, to even start in that cup series, you know, and then the charter stuff, if you didn't have to have a charter yeah. to get the, the good payouts, uh, you could, you could really look into it a lot more serious then, but I mean, just to get started in Cup, I mean, in my opinion, you'd have to have multi-million dollars. And mm-hmm. and for us, that's that's just unattainable, in my opinion, unless something big-time changed. We got yeah. major backing, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, But I hope it uh, – hopefully it turns out that Cup, it goes well for all that. Very interested to see uh, as a driver, as a fan, all that kind of stuff. Well, Jeremy, I, I thank you so much for your time. You gave me an hour of it, which I am very, very grateful for. So I appreciate that. And a busy week for you in Darlington, which is, I guess, is technically your guys' home race, right? Well, I, I guess it's 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 about two and a half. It's about two hours and 15 to 20 minutes away. Uh, so Charlotte Charlotte's North- closer, I guess. Charlotte's only an hour and 10 to 15 okay. minutes away. So I don't know. You know, Charlotte's closer, but it's in a different state. Yeah, yeah. I guess this is our home race. Uh, I, I don't know who makes these decisions. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds good to me, I guess. So we'll, we'll go with that. And I love Darlington. Like I said earlier, fun track. I went, watched as a kid in the grandstand. So to race there, man, it's something special. Our best finish is eighth there a few years ago. Definitely want to improve that. Hopefully get a top five or better this weekend. Please check it out. Uh, and, and just got to thank. Uh, my partners, All South Electric, Chuck Coon, Steve, Steve Carnes from First Pacific Funding. Uh, we got they so hopped many on good for the rest of the year, which is amazing. I'm sorry I didn't touch on that, but that's incredible. Yeah, Steve's been a, a big part of my deal since I met him last year, and uh, it's only getting bigger. And him and his boss Jeff have been really nice to us and really great. Love hanging out with Steve as well. He's a fun guy. We've cracked open a few drinks together, to say the least. So more than a few. Looking forward to building that partnership and that relationship as time goes on. And I'm really excited about that. So, uh, but like I said, we got so many great partners this year and a lot of people are jumping on our 51 car. And for me, that's so super exciting and it definitely takes it to, to be a top contender. So I want to thank all, all our supporters and partners. Absolutely. And, and I mean, like we talked about, you guys are sitting pretty right now, eighth in the point standings ahead of a lot of big, big time teams with bigger budget, uh, more manpower. So what you guys are doing has been nothing short of incredible. One of the most underappreciated feats so far this season in motorsports, I think. So we will be watching this weekend. We'll be watching the rest of the season and hopefully you can put that 51 in victory lane for a second time because I know you're hungry. 
Uh, so we'll be watching. We'll be rooting you on. And again, thank you so much for your time. I think the listeners will really appreciate learning a little bit more about your story and uh, seeing how the sausage is made, so to speak, from an underfunded team. That's right. I appreciate you having me on, Davey. It was a good time. And hopefully uh, people got to learn a little bit more about us and uh, hopefully I can cheer us on this weekend. And I'm, I'm ready to start this 11 race week straight stretch and uh, kick some butt, man. So thank you. You got it, man. Have a good one. Thanks, buddy. And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Again, want to give a big thank you to Jeremy. He's a busy guy, especially this week at Darlington. Uh, but he gave me so much of his time. So big thank you to Jeremy and Phyllis for helping coordinate that conversation as well. Really, really appreciate that. Speaking of Darlington, let's preview the Goodyear 400 at Darlington Raceway. Great name, by the way. Throwback weekend is this weekend and not for the Southern 500, which I kind of like. There are so many throwback schemes. I'm not going to go through them all because I did last week for the ones that got released, and I thought that was a lot. And it is like double, triple this year. But I will say, Xfinity has the best paint schemes by far across the board. Like, they are so, so good. And I'll go over just a couple that I really like that caught my eye overall. A lot of them are in the Xfinity series. We talked about Jeremy Clement's 51 tribute to Dale Jarrett, as well as Brandon Brown's. What can Brandon Brown do for you? Those are unreal. Michael Annette's Gatorade paint scheme is badass. So is Matt Jaskell's 13 car with the colors on it. Oh my God, it's so nice. Timmy Hill, the small teams came to play too. He's got a Rusty Wallace throwback. It is so badass with the flames and everything like that. Brandon Godovic with Sam Hunt Racing, former guest on the show, owner Sam Hunt. He's got a Hot Wheels throwback in the 26 to Kyle Petty. Tyler Ankrum in the Truck Series is throwing it back to Ricky Bobby and Talladega Knights. And also, Chris Wright in the O2 truck for Young's Motorsports. He's throwing it back to Ron Hornaday's truck scheme, which is a play off of Kevin Harvick's Goodwrench scheme in the mid-2000s, which is one of, if not my favorite schemes of all time. I absolutely love that one. There's a ton of great paint schemes. We have an article on frontstretch.com detailing all of them, so check them out there. They're obviously all over social media as well. But man, I am so excited for this throwback weekend just to see all the different paint schemes and everything hearkening back to the past. I'm, I'm excited for that. And above all else, the racing itself, 750 horsepower package at Darlington. Small spoiler, more horsepower. Yes, please. <laughs> I talked with Tyler Reddick on the Front Stretch podcast this week, and he was super happy about that. Not going to get a Darlington stripe, just a kiss here and there. Xfinity, Trucks, and Cup all in action this weekend on the Fox Family and Networks from South Carolina. You better tune in because I am hype. Look, that's up the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. You guys are probably saying this is like a huge week for the next-gen car. It just debuted, and you haven't even said anything about it. Well, I'm saying something about it now. The next-gen car has officially been unveiled. The specs, all that kind of stuff. They were announced on Wednesday afternoon from Charlotte, North Carolina. There was a live stream. It was great. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There's a lot of people that have way smarter brains than me to understand and give you insight and analysis on what the different specs mean. So go check them out. Bozy is one of them. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, but follow him on Twitter, Bozy. 
you know what to do. Matt Weaver's also done some incredible coverage. Also Kelly Crandall, uh, Jeff Gluck, Jordan Bianchi with The Athletic, Bob Pockers, of course. They, they got a lot of stuff. And I tweeted out some of the stuff on my account as well. But they can explain it a little bit better as well. So check them out. But really, really exciting stuff. The cars look badass. I'm excited to see them on track next year. Pocono Raceway, good news for them. They are allowing 100% capacity for their doubleheader weekend this summer. Great news. Penalties post-Kansas, Matt McCall, Luke Lambert, and Paul Wolf were each fined 10 grand for a loose lug nut. And Jonathan Stewart has been reinstated following his road to recovery program. Some really unfortunate news to pass along, though. Eric McClure, longtime Xfinity Series competitor. You guys remember him in that hefty orange car? He passed away at the age of 42 years old. No cause of death was immediately announced, but from all accounts, he was a really, really great man and a father of, I believe, seven children. So may he rest in peace. We're thinking of him and his family. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to be running the Xfinity Series race at Richmond on September 11th this year with Unilever on board as well. Shane Wilson, who was recently relieved of his duties at David Gillen Racing, he's returning to RSS Racing and will serve as the crew chief for Ryan Sieg, so he's got a job again. Tanner Berryhill, he's joining our motorsports for three races beginning this weekend in the 23. Eric Darnell is returning to the truck series running for Nice Motorsports. And Rafael Lasar, GMS Racing announced, is out of that truck for the rest of the season. So we don't know what the official wording is, but it's sponsorship. I mean, that's just what it is. We knew of his struggles going in. He's working on getting something for 2022 lined up on a full-time basis. But he was doing okay this year, and he's a really nice kid. So hope to see him back behind the wheel soon. And William Byron also revealed that his mother has a form of treatable cancer and it kind of popped up at Martinsville when she was having a seizure-like event. But by all accounts, it seems like she's in good spirits, the family's in good spirits, and it is treatable, which is the good news. So we're thinking of the Byron family as well. That will wrap things up for episode 106 of Victory Lane 2.0. I appreciate you guys listening in. It's a busy week in the NASCAR world. One of the most exciting race weekends and one of the most exciting announcements about the next gen car but i hope you enjoyed my chat with jeremy clements or anything else i talked about in the show if you did please go leave me a rating and a review subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it itunes spotify google soundcloud it sounds trivial every week but it really does help me out and spread the word i'm a one-man band over here so any help would be greatly greatly appreciated truly truly would all right guys i'll see you guys next week with another guest from the nascar world Keep it locked to my Twitter feed. Follow me on TikTok. Trying to do some creative stuff over there. Make you guys laugh every week. Maybe a couple times a week. Who knows? Stay safe. Get outside. Wear that mask when you need to. Get vaccinated. And I'll catch you on the flip side.